Hi everyone. Um, it, it really is a privilege to be here um, with you all. I just even coming in this evening, I'm just um, I'm overwhelmed at the togetherness and the community, and um, just to be able to talk Paul with with you and just to be reminded of family and I'm I'm so thankful for this family. I'm I'm thankful for you guys and I'm thankful to him for the opportunity to to walk together. Um I've been coming here for about thirteen years now. Um and it's been quite an incredible process of of walking with people um and having the opportunity to grow in him together. Um I'm thankful for people like Kirk who have been uh, spiritual fathers to me and have seen the ins and outs and the crap and <laughs> the rubbish and the nonsense um, and grace has has covered that day um, and you know so, so many people that I could just say have been so influential in my life and so I just would like to to thank you guys and when I say it's a privilege to be here it really is a privilege to be part of this community. Um, and we really are, we're so lucky to, to have what we have. Um, so thank you all. And I hope that, you know, together this will be almost like the start of something that, that grows. Um, yeah. Cool. I'm not, I'm not normally a crier, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so I'm, d I'm just going to talk tonight probably more about what I've been learning, what I've been going through in the last little while. Um, the last few weeks have been quite significant to me. I've been going right back to the basics. Um, and tonight I'm just going to talk with you about the simplicity of walking with Christ. Um, over, over the last few weeks I've might sound overly simple, but I've been enjoying being with him. I've I've been able to I've been able to enjoy the beautiful orange colours that are along the road by our house. I've been being able to enjoy the driving rain hitting my face as I run from the front door to my Toyota Corolla. <laughs> Being able to enjoy the stillness of the winter night and the cold air on my face, and I'm just reminded of him and his goodness, of his presence to just to be with me and for me to be with him. And I never thought that it could be like that. I was I was caught up in theology and learning. I knew the scriptures inside out growing up and and yet the thing that's most precious to me now is just to be with him to walk with him I've been making my way through Genesis at the moment and it talks about Noah um, it says Noah was a righteous man he walked with God I thought wow you know that is 
righteousness, that's right standing with God, to have such a closeness with him, to walk with him, to, to be with him, for him to be involved in life. It talks about Enoch, and it says the same. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. And that's all it needed to say. And, and then in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, he doesn't need to, but he goes on and he expounds. And, and, it, and this Enoch was a man of faith. And I thought, beautiful that he's a man of faith because he simply, he, he walked with God. And, and for me, I've, I've come to the point where you know, Jesus has become the most precious thing to me. Um, there's, been, there's been a lot going on recently we've been learning a lot we've been having a lot of conversations with different people and it's probably the first time for me experiencing what what Jesus talks about of is your love being treated as hatred and yet it's been the most beautiful and the most awesome thing finding that there's been a love that's been placed in my heart that I never asked for or even expected but that's come out as a result of just ridiculous name-calling or, or anything like that. And I just thought that is the seed of his kingdom, that when persecution comes and hatred comes, there's a life and a power and a love that's present and at work within you that you know is not you, but overcomes. And it's like Paul, he talks about the love of Christ, and he says the love of Christ controls me. And even just meditating on that over the last few weeks, that he's in a place where his life now is is not his own. He's a man controlled by God. He's a man who does not live for himself anymore. Um, and so I just... I, I don't have a beautifully presented slick message to present to you this evening but I, what I would love is for you to just grasp an essence of the beauty and simplicity of what it means to walk with Christ and to be devoted to him <laughs> so if we could pray that would be awesome Father we, we love you we appreciate you and I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I just ask that you'd speak tonight. I ask that you'd speak beyond words. But that as a community we'd capture who you are. And that what is spoken is more than articulate language. But it's a release of your spirit and your power. You grow us and mature us and people to be a people that love you, who lay their lives down for you and lay their lives down for one another. In, in Jesus' name. I might just start with a little example, something over the... I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago, something that, that Tess and I went through 
Um, it was called Being Engaged. Um, <laughs> and it was quite an interesting time period for us um, where we went from being separate and having separate lives to being together. And within that process, we really learned a lot both about each other, um, about him, and about the body. Um, so I, I remember there was, I think there was one day, and we were on a date. We were, we were going out for dinner or something, and we had just, we had just gotten engaged. Um, and normally what would happen is I'd say, oh, I'll shout, and Tessa would be like, oh, no, 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 let me shout, you know. No. I'll, I'll, I'll shout, um, and, that, and that's how it would go pretty much every time, um, because we, we, we both thought that we'd, we'd be generous. Um, but then we had just gotten engaged, and we were out to dinner, and I think we started to do it, and I, I was just struck in that moment that, oh, well, actually, we're just about to combine our bank accounts. Like, everything that is hers is about to become mine, and everything that's mine is about to come become hers, so does it really matter if I shout her or she shouts me? And I was, we were both, both of us struck in that moment uh, about the quality and the nature of togetherness and relationship that Christ is inviting us into to be with him, where we're no longer together are no longer separate, but we're together. Th and the beautiful thing about it was that on the outside, nothing had changed. We lived in separate houses, we slept in separate beds, we did all of those, all of those things. So nothing physically changed, but within, everything changed. It, it was a completely different attitude, a completely different perspective going from being separate to, to being together. We we didn't really, or I, originally I thought, well, is, this is getting engaged, this is great, you know, what's Tessa's, Tessa's is mine and what's mine is mine. You know? <laughs> so it's have, have the best of both worlds, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> to come into this relationship required both both parties. It required everything in terms of my physical possessions, ev my whole bank account, all of what I owned, and Tess, her whole bank account, her KiwiSaver, her student loan, which thankfully she paid off before we were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but it was a complete joining um, of two of two lives together, and. In that, I saw such a clear snapshot of what this relationship God is inviting us into is to be like here on earth. Jesus is not physically standing in this room as a person in flesh and blood right, right next to me. We're not, we haven't physically been married to him. We don't live in the same household as him. But the Bible talks about is that we've been betrothed to him. He's our betrothed you to me in love. He's made a covenant with us that even though we're not physically with him, the betrothal has already started. And so, once again, for, for Tess and I, 
we were not married, but in heart and in attitude and perspective, it was like we already were. And that's his design for marriage, is that back in, you, you might remember, um, Mary and Joseph, just before, um, just before Jesus is born, and um, Joseph realizes that Mary's pregnant, and he wants to send her away <laughs> and give her a divorce, but yet they weren't even married yet. And so, from God's perspective, the the marriage, the legal side of marriage, started when the decision and the commitment was made. And there was a process of time before that decision that had already been made was to come and take physical form where they would actually be joined physically. And now that is the position that we're in with Christ. We have been betrothed to him. We might not physically be living with him, but the nature of the covenant and the commitment and the decision that we've made towards him has already, it's, it's been done. And so, yeah, that's the springboard that I'd like to go from uh, this evening. I might just read from uh, Galatians 4. So if you have your Bibles, have, um, open up to Galatians 4. So we're in verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. It's an interesting little passage. And Paul fascinates me how he can take from history and take an account about two children being born and he can draw from it a parallel that would seem so outrageously ridiculous. But he can because he knows God and he knows the heart of his father and he'll use anything to paint a picture of this relationship, this spiritual reality that we as a church are invited into. And so he takes two children and he says, this is allegorically speaking. I'm not actually talking about children. I'm talking about two covenants, two agreements, two operating systems, two ways of being. And so Paul here is talking about children, but he could be talking about marriage, or he could be talking about living stones, or he could be talking about a city. He, he uses all of these terms interchangeably to paint a picture of something that isn't earthly at all. It's heavenly and it's spiritual and it's eternal. And there's no physical thing that's, that's like it. So he has to draw from the things of the earth to paint a picture of the things of heaven. And what also I, I find quite staggering is that it was God who created the heavens and the earth. So he, he didn't just... 
earth wasn't just as it was and then God thought, oh, that's a great typology, I might use that. No, he, he created things specifically to teach us of himself. He created children, he created relationships, he created marriage, he created family, not for the sake of those things in and of themselves, but to teach us of what we are invited to in him. And so this example of Tess and I and our relationship and the betrothal between us is an example of the relationship of freedom that we can come into, where everything that is mine is hers and everything that is hers is mine. Oh, yeah, I said that right. Um, But that requires something of us. And Sina, I love what you said just before about commitment. And that is, that is a, massive, a massive thing. We hear, or we've been talking a lot about dying to self or over the last couple of years at The Rock. And for me, this typology of the betrothal process speaks beautifully about what dying to self looks like. So to enter into a marriage with Tess, I had to die to myself in terms of I had to die to a life that was lived separately from Tess. And now I'm just, I I think back to the fall and the fall of man and Adam used to to walk with God. He He knew God. And what happened at the fall was that a separation occurred between him and God. We often think of, of sin, and, and it is, but it can be doing bad things. But really what it did is it separated man from God. And the redemption, the gospel, is about reconciliation. It's about two becoming one. It's about man being restored back to his to God's original intention and design that they would be one, that he would be one with his people, that they would know him, they would be of one heart and one mind. They would have a love in their hearts for him and him for them. And so for me, entering into this process with Tess, I had to die to a life that was individual, a life that was lived separately from him. And so when we when we die to ourselves, we're not just saying, I'm going to die to this particular sin. It's our lives as being separate from God. It's that we have a specific will for our lives that we want to live for, a purpose, uh, a calling, uh, whatever it is, whether it be secular or religious or spiritual. And so dying to self is not a matter of a particular issue. It's a matter of the entirety of our hearts. And when that takes place, it means that everything of ours has become his and everything that is his has become ours. And so really, the death is no death. You are substituting nothing for everything. 
They're substituting five cents for eight billion dollars <laughs> cash. <laughs> and this is what we are in. But the issue is, do we perceive that we are in the relationship that he has called and invited us into? I'm reminded of the parable of the wedding banquet. And there's an invitation that's sent out to everyone. But those who were invited rejected it. And so he has to go out into the highways and the byways and call for those who would come to the wedding supper. And some people eventually come and they turn up and they're not wearing the correct wedding clothes. They were invited, but they didn't take the invitation seriously. And so they didn't prepare, they weren't ready. And I think, for me, that speaks of unbelief. The invitation has come. Christ has said to us, he says in Hosea, I betrothed you to, my, to myself in love. And the Israelites failed to enter the promised land. They failed to enter the promised depth of relationship with Christ. Not because they tried hard and failed or because they gave it a good go, or because they weren't quite good enough, but because of unbelief. And so the invitation has been put out there. There's a betrothal that has occurred between us. And the issue for us is, do we believe that we are actually, that we have actually been invited to that intensity of relationship with him? And do we believe that he will prepare us into the people that he's calling us to be. It's a big question. But there were two covenants that this passage in Galatians 4 talked about. One covenant was slavery it was of the flesh it was through man's effort the purpose was the same Abraham was promised a son it was a godly it was a divine purpose but the methodology the way that he went about it was entirely wrong he attempted to to achieve the promises of God through his own actions and his own flesh, his own ability. He substituted listening to the divine voice of God to listening to the worldly wisdom of his life. And so he goes and sleeps with a slave woman and gives birth to a son. And even in this, the, the grace of God is staggering because he says of the son that he still will bless him. Ah, so man, how beautiful is that love that in the midst of disobedience and unbelief, God is still at work 
and he still chooses to work and to use the son born out of the flesh and born out of disobedience for a heavenly and eternal purpose. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. And what I love about Abraham is that that one act of disobedience didn't throw off the future that God had invited him to. God wasn't put off by Abraham's missing the mark. And neither was Abraham. And that's just staggering. Because it's so easy to get caught up in ourselves, in our own sin, in our own past, the mistakes that we've made. I've made a heaps of them. <laughs> but thankfully that doesn't disqualify us. And so we can't disqualify ourselves from what God has invited us to because he's not disqualifying us. And so Abraham continues on and he receives this son of the promise. When Sarah is beyond her age of childbearing, it's impossible. She's, what, 80 years old or, or something like that. I can't remember. 90, 90 years old. Her womb is barren. There's no chance it's done for. And that's the time that God chooses to act when there's no possible explanation that this could have been achieved by human effort. And so that's the divine moment in time where God steps in and produces life where there was no life. It's the covenant of freedom. It's outside of striving of other people's expectations of pressure that comes from every direction. Even good pressure from children or your closest friends or your wife or your mum. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And so we've been invited into this union with Christ, this place of relationship that's outside of human effort, outside of human ability, but is beautiful in its simplicity and, and its freedom. The relationship of oneness and unity and togetherness and wholeness and absoluteness and all, I don't know how you say, being all in, being committed is not, it is to be between us and him, but it's also to be between each other. Something that Tess and I were thinking about when, when we were Engaged is we all of a sudden realized this the nature of this relationship that we had to have with him was also to apply to everyone else. 
if I've come to the place where everything that I have is his and everything that he has is mine, and you have come to the place that everything that he has is yours and everything that you have is his, there's the potential for spiritual oneness, is what Greg has been talking about, of togetherness, of community, and of family. And I think of Acts, and the Holy Spirit has just been poured out. And what I love is the response that's not recorded as part of the preaching. It's just recorded as an outcome. It, it's, a, it's a side mention. It's not the main attraction. But it says that they were together in one heart and one mind. And they didn't consider anything as belonging to themselves anymore. They laid what they had at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And I thought, wow. Because when you've given everything that you are to him, and he's given everything that he is to you, you don't give anymore. I don't give Tess money. We share the same bank account. I can't be pleasing to her by giving her money on her birthday. We can't be pleasing to God by giving him money or giving him anything because it's his. And when we've entered into this relationship with him, we know it's his. And we know that everything that we have has been given to us by him. It says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with him, with whom there is no hint of a shifting shadow. Everything good has come from him and it belongs to him. And so he's, so David, he's talking with God and he says, you know, your sacrifices, I don't desire them. Why do I, Tess, why do I want your money when we share the same bank account? Your sacrifices, I don't desire. It's got to go beyond that. What I desire is a broken heart and a contrite spirit, a humility that enables us to love each other and to walk together. And so this is what we're invited to with each other, that we wouldn't treat what we own as ours. Everyth everything is his. Our own spiritual walks and our own spiritual growths aren't to be separate anymore. I'm to care about your spiritual growth as much as I do my own. I'm to care about your physical well-being as much as I care about my own. And so there's an interesting scripture and it says, he who has the world's goods and sees his brother in need. How does it go, his? I can't remember either. But in essence, he's, in essence, he's talking about an attitude. 
where his possessions, or where our possessions, where our lives should no longer be for ourselves anymore. We've, we've passed the point of no return with, each, with God and with each other. There's no going back. Where are we going to go? You hold the answer to life. We're, we're learning this in our household. We have the most awesome house. We have Hez and Kate, who I love like my own brother and sister. And we are learning how to be together, not just under the same roof, but to live in an intensity and a commitment to each other that goes beyond physical boundaries. And we have the potential to live by one of those two covenants, slavery or freedom. And so sometimes Tess has to ask me to put the rubbish out. Yeah, it's supposed to be his job. <laughs> but if I forget, then oh, if he forgets, then it's, it comes on to me. <laughs> now, we all have responsibilities, and those responsibilities are good and important things. But the way we approach them is so essential in terms of if we are living in a covenant relationship with each other that is free or if we're living as slaves. So when I ask his if he can wash the dishes, he has the opportunity to respond. And what's in his heart will come out. Either he'll do it because he loves because of the commitment we have towards each other, where we care about each other's spiritual and physical needs. It's all part of it. And it will either be a joy or it will be a burden. And, yeah, it'll, it'll be freedom or slavery. And so we should be as a body, in a place of maturity where we have a love for each other that goes beyond the law. And it's been awesome in the last number of months that, sorry, his, I don't mean to embarrass you, mate, but his now puts the rubbish out without being asked. <laughs> and it's it sounds so simple, but it's beautiful because something's happened that there's appreciation and there's love and there's honour for each other that we're no longer bound by religious rules or instructed how we should treat each other but there's life and there's love that comes from our innermost beings that we would lay down our lives 
without being asked. And we would take care of each other, both physically and spiritually. And like I said, it's all part of it. Because you can't love spiritually and your actions not demonstrate the life you claim to be in. And so my, my prayer is that as a body, we find this place in him. This place of absolute abundance. Because it is abundance, but it will require much of ourselves or what seems like much which is actually not much at all and I just I pray Father that we would find this place that we wouldn't see our lives as being separate from you anymore that we could say like Paul I've died and my life is hidden in Christ with God. That everything that is us would be given to you and everything that is of you would be for us. We'd enter into this place where there's an abundance of resource. There's an abundance of love. There's an abundance of gratitude and thankfulness that overflows and governs our heart and our minds and our actions that we become hearers of the word and doers. We wouldn't deceive ourselves by living in false friendships. We wouldn't just be buddies, but we would come to the intensity of heart and the intensity of mind where we are devoted and committed to each other and to you with a life and power that goes beyond our human effort and our human striving. Father, I ask if as a body there's people that are living lives as slaves trying through their own ability to come into this place with you. I just ask that the power of your cross would smash those mindsets and would destroy anything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. That as a community we would be a whole people, a people who love, people who have compassion and mercy. Father, I ask, like Abraham, who, when his wife was barren after 90 years, received the promise and received a new life that overcame any physical limitation 
And I ask, Father, for the life of your spirit to be at work within us as your people and as a community. That we would be a people on the earth who speak of you. A city on a hill. A people whose light is the demonstration of their lives. Who practice what they preach. Who have hearts filled with a simple but profound love, devotion, and appreciation for you. And I pray that not just for our rock community, but for your body, your true church. Father, we love you. And we appreciate you. And I thank you for your presence here with us tonight. In Jesus' name.